2: All right, I'm heading into my third hour of talking about the trade deadline. Talked about it with Danny for a couple hours uh, on my pod before this. So I think we'll take a little bit more of a holistic view of things here. But how was your first trade deadline back on the media side in a while?
3: Well, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we didn't have any... Any true crazy blockbusters on the, on par of like, you know, the Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul thing coming out of nowhere. But we had, we had a couple really interesting deals. We did see a couple of all stars get traded, Eastern Conference all stars, but still. Uh, so we got some interesting things to talk about from all this.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I just want to wind you up here because it's such an odd, trade all of this D'Angelo Russell Golden State stuff has been so odd since the moment it happened and just completely came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But what did you think of the
3: Wiggins-Russell trade? So here's my big take on that. What would you have paid in terms of draft compensation just to move the Wiggins contract?
2: Yeah, I kind of saw it from that too, right? I mean, if I'm Minnesota, probably nothing because they just, you know, where they are, it doesn't make sense to pay to move it they need those draft picks but yes that is a very ugly looking contract i'll try and play devil's advocate here Mm -hmm. is it possible that andrew wiggins could provide more value to the warriors than d'angelo russell would have
3: on next year's warriors with curry and clay back it's uh but you know still i put him on that team and like provide value is what Yeah. As a shooter? Yeah. As a defender? (laughs) You know, uh, like, as, as what? As a, as like a sixth man scorer when those guys are off the court, which Russell is better at.
2: Yeah. I I mean, he is better defensively than Russell. I will say that. That is
3: damning with the faintest of praise.
2: (laughs) It it is. It, It is indeed. Uh, so this is the way I was kind of thinking about it. And I, I see it like from the asset play perspective, right? You might say Golden State. Lost if you're going to say, okay, Wiggins is worth whatever you want to say, negative two first round picks mm-hmm. and Russell is clearly got to be worth something on his own. You would think there seemed to be some demand for him mm-hmm. at that number, even though I thought he actually was a negative contract at that number. There's some teams that didn't seem to agree with that. So, you know, I, I could see it that way. The way I wanted to look at it is, is Golden State in a better position to trade for a star now? Then they would have been if they just held on to Russell,
3: because they are sitting on an extra pick that they can put in a deal. Yes, yeah, yeah. Where at, where where you say Wiggins or Russell would have been the match either way, and the, you know if it's like Washington for Bradley Beal, let's say, and where you know either way they're getting a contract for the same number of years coming back, right? It's just a question of of what whose name is attached to it. You, you could make that argument.
2: I don't know that I buy that
3: argument. I personally. think that's the yes. most positive right. argument you could make for the trade. Are well, you see, worried? I, to Are you to you me, worried that's about...
2: the biggest reason it's it was a bad trade is because it, I think it hurts them in that respect. Because Russell is someone that, in theory, people might have wanted at that number. And Wiggins, there's no way anyone
3: would ever want him at that number. You would think so. Although, I mean, new management in New York, <laughs> you never know, right? Oh,
2: man. <laughs> Yeah, I, put in just, put in
3: the call. <laughs> I thought New York actually did okay,
2: uh, given the the turmoil there.
3: Yeah, yeah. So they got a first and a second for Morris, which I think is more than than oh. people thought that oh. they would. Oh, get and out let's of it. not
2: forget the all important first round swap. Oh, the pick, with the the pick swap flexed. in two thousand twenty
3: one. Yeah, yeah. That's a real good chance of that one coming. <laughs>
2: Is that the least likely pick swap to, to ever convey at the time it was made?
3: Yeah, it's got to be right down there. I can't think of another one. I, I've seen a couple other pick swaps where like, yeah, that's probably not good. But ne- never something like this where it's like, yeah. the, you know, well, I, the se- the s- number two and number 29 agreeing to a pick swap. Yeah.
2: I, I'll tell you what. I bet you Brooklyn, when they traded their pick away, thought there was a pretty darn small chance that they would be – Boston would want to swap with them,
3: yeah. But I think Boston knew that there was a good chance they would yeah, they would yeah, be yeah. able to pull yeah. it off. So, uh, you know, I I think in this case, ne- neither side thinks it's very likely. They also got a uh, a second from Detroit, which should be pretty high, right? Out yeah. of that, and yeah, then, twenty uh, twenty
2: one second. That's pretty good. Um, but yeah, we're, sorry, we're we're this is clearly going to be wide ranging and rambling because I think John and I are both delirious already at this point in time with the amount of work we've done this but um let me get back to the point about wiggins right like russell plus golden state's first rounder to me that's like russell at least isn't like a huge negative to take on Mm -hmm. so now wiggins plus minnesota plus golden state's first rounder Wiggins is just such a negative. I mean, I think there are some teams who are like all right, at least D'Angelo Russell would be a starting point guard. Wiggins, you don't necessarily look at it that way, where yeah. it's just like got like not only are we trading away our star, but now we gotta take on Wiggins too. Like that's that's even more like usually it's the other way around where the team acquiring the star will also take some pad salary off the other team's hands as well. So uh I think that they're in a worse position to trade for a star than before they did this trade.
3: That, that, um, you know what that hinges on too? We got to see what Minnesota is next year, right? I mean, that's oh, yeah. the biggest variable. Pres- presuming this was done to have that asset sitting around somewhere a little bit down the line and not, not in June.
2: So what, what do you make of this? Golden State moves heaven and earth, the hard cap, they get off Iguadala, two first round picks, at least they thought at the time, to get Russell. And then... Six months later, they make a trade that's basically betting against him being any good.
3: Yeah, and they get and they just get a first and a and a second back. It was an odd pattern, right? The one thing I will say, the one thing those moves also allowed them to do though, was they can now have a 185 million dollar payroll rather than like 125 million dollar payroll. In other words, right. they bought themselves so much latitude to screw up on contracts. You know what I mean? That that it almost might still have been worth doing it. If you're if you're Golden State and you're in the Chase Center and you know you're going to make money hand over fist anyway, that this might have still been worth it. Like if we, you can have they they're be able to get their payroll to such a point that they could pay Wiggins thirty million dollars and only have him play twelve minutes a game and still probably be okay.
2: Yeah, that that might be right. And um, where I think they are better off is if they might be in a better position to use that Iguodala trade exception, the seventeen million, throw the Minnesota pick in with that as opposed to having to be their own pick this year. They have that mm-hmm. mid-level asset to go and grab another starter and yeah. just take that guy in into that trade exception. So I think if you're looking to just build the roster around Steph, Clay, and Draymond, maybe you're in a better position if you're not star hunting now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what you got to count on if you're, uh, if you're Golden State. And they also, uh, they also got themselves out of the luxury tax, which I, I do think was something of a motivation because the repeater tax was going to hammer these guys next year. I mean, if you looked at them being maybe 50 million in the tax, that repeater bill alone will be 50, right? So eliminating that, I think was a pretty big deal.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think in the end, it wouldn't have ended up being that much. They would have just done things to make it a little bit less. But yeah, I mean, certainly we're talking about, you know, 20 million, probably 15 or 20 million in, in cold hard cash. And if getting out of the tax, which they also basically completely punted on Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third to do that, um, to, to the consternation, I think of a lot of people, the coaching staff and a lot of people. Uh, in the locker room and maybe Glenn Robinson, the third himself as well, who had told Anthony Slater that he might be willing to take less to stay with the warriors because he was so happy there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that, that to me, it clearly was, you know, it wasn't more than 50% of their motivation for doing this deal when they did, but it was definitely, I think, you know, was it 20% of their motivation? 15%? Yeah.
3: Oh, I, I'll say it's, I'll go, I'll take the over on 20.
2: Yeah, because they would have had to otherwise just pay someone with second round picks. They don't have any cash left to get off of Spellman, you know, two of the three of Spellman, Poole, or Evans. Exactly. If they'd held on to GR3, they would have had to get rid of all three of those guys. Or, and they, probably or they would have
3: yeah. had to trade Kevon Looney, which I think right. they still didn't want to do.
2: Yeah, he's looked a little bit better of late. But, well, so so let me just ask you straight up. If you're a Golden State, would you do this deal or not?
3: I probably would not have done this deal. I just, I i, I would have want if there was a second first coming from Minnesota, I think that would have been the line for me.
2: Yeah, or, or what if Minnesota had done this year's pick?
3: Oh, yeah, then, I you know, I would have been more interested. I mean, it's not a good draft, but just, I mean, still, even with the differential, what you think of the draft, like the idea of being locked into a high pick this year versus, you know, Minnesota will probably be okay next year. What? Median outcome is maybe like the 11th pick. Like yeah. that, you know, they, there's still probably a difference there where the advantage is with 2020.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, there's much, much to be written still here, right? I mean, we'll see how good Minnesota is. Uh, You know, I mean, if Carl Towns gets hurt, then, yeah, so that pick's going to look a lot better. I mean, maybe there's there's a non-zero, again, damning with faint praise, as we've been doing pretty often here with Andrew Wiggins, Uh, idea that Golden State could rehabilitate. I mean, the guy was averaging 23 points a game on, you know, still below average true shooting. They don't need an innings eater offensively, but, you know, he's got some tools. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be useful. I don't think he can play that small ball four the way Harrison Barnes did all those years ago. But it could work. He could be more useful to them. He at least plays the right position, which Russell didn't.
3: That's that's probably the one the one biggest selling point for him is that he's a is that he's a three. So he's not they're not competing for each other's excuse me, he's competing for each other's minutes. What do you think of this from Minnesota's standpoint? You like it for him then? I do. Um I think so one of the things with Wiggins with a guy like that and cuz we kind of had this in Memphis a little bit when you when you have a player who's who's talented but who is apath- as apathetic on the court as he is it kind of sucks the life out of everybody else Yeah and uh, you know and and it's not that he's a bad guy or that guys don't like him um but it just when you get on the court and in the heat of the moment, and that was the thing that drove Jimmy Butler crazy, right? So I, th- I think the dynamic with Wiggins and Draymond Green is going to get real interesting real fast. Um, but that I I think that was just it, like the air was just so out of the balloon there after after what this is the sixth year of this that that it was really important for them to do that. Obviously Russell and Carl Towns are boys, so that'll hopefully help. Keep keep that part of it together. They have an identity now as an offensive team where they're going to be a high pick and roll team with Russell and Towns and the other guys can fit in around that where they really didn't have any identity uh, before that because they had no lead ball handler. Right. And they were trying to shoehorn Wiggins into that role and he couldn't do it. So I think from that perspective, they're in a much better spot. Now they know exactly what they have to do. They have to get guys at the two, three, four who can play defense because they're, they're obviously, you know, their two main players are liabilities at that end. So they need to shore up the rest of the roster on that front. And then, um, you know, the, the cost pick wise, I mean, they still have their own pick this year. They still protected themselves where they have to be terrible twice in a row to really, uh, to really have this be a catastrophic fail in terms of the draft pick they owe Golden State. So I, I think they ended up in a, in a pretty good spot.
2: Yeah, I'm of two minds of it. I think in the short term, yeah, they probably got better. They got their point guard. I'm a little skeptical of the fit between Russell and Towns. I like it in the sense that Russell can be vulnerable to switches. And with Carl Towns, that's a tough guy to switch with because he's such a good post-up player. But I kind of like a yin and yang between my point guard and my center where if it's a shooter, you get a guy who rolls to the rim. If it's a guy who really likes to penetrate as the point guard, then you have more of a pop guy. Like, Towns, Towns could certainly do both. But Russell, you know, he's not, he's just so slow that he's not going to get downhill and cause a lot of gravity, you know, take advantage as much of the space that Towns provides. I still think they'll be fine together, but... Then you mentioned the defensive fit. There is certainly the personal components of of he and Towns wanting to play together. But let me ask you this. Like, you know, you said the median outcome for next year is the 11th pick, probably not a playoff team. So you gave up a first rounder to still not be a playoff team? I mean, yeah, you things are a little bit better. Maybe this is an incremental step or whatever. But there, you gave up a first round pick when you're bad to not necessarily get that much better. That's a concern, right?
3: That's a fair point. I mean, you know, the the big picture question here in Minnesota is is which way do you take this, right? Because the other thing you could potentially do is trade towns and just and just tear the whole thing down.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think from where they started, I know he has four more years under contract after yeah. this one. But they may already be screwed. And, you, and I mean, they're going to fight. They're going to try. Like, you can't just trade towns now. Like, that's just not how it's going to work. You have to try what you have to do to, to save them. But – and maybe he'll just be happy to stay there and you know be the eleventh the worst team in the league every year because he's there with his front. I kind of doubt that. Um, you know, maybe the next move is to try and get Devin Booker somehow later in this whole thing to for those that, that should upgrade the out.
3: defense. <laughs> so yeah, I don't
2: know. I it's it still doesn't seem like it's going to end well, but it never seemed like it was going to end well there. And, and I mean, I think that like it seems crazy to think of of like oh yeah they have this 24 year old superstar it might be one of the best offensive centers of all time and you might need to rebuild
4: yeah but yeah
2: it, it's so we'll see i mean it, i still don't think that this moves the needle for them yet but you know we've seen some creativity from rosas like I, i'm i think they're at least have the possibility of being a really good offense we just got to see russell just has never really actually driven efficient offense in his career despite having some okay individual stats. even this year at the warriors are not any better with him on the floor Mm -hmm. with, you know, his own stats being superficial. So we'll see. I mean, well, I can't say that leading up to the trade deadline, my fitness has been unbelievable. Not a ton of time. And if you're feeling the same way, maybe you should think about getting a way to work out in your house so you never have to step foot in a gym. And the easiest way to do that is with Echelon. Their FX1, their EX1 connected fitness bikes offer a high quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. They've got live classes. They've got on-demand studio classes right in your home. You can get out on the virtual road, join hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. If you aren't 100% satisfied, they can just give you your money back busy moms and dads first responders elite athletes whatever your activity level there's a way for you to get started with echelon they will shepherd you through the entire process and it's a lot of fun you have a way to push yourself but do it at your own pace in your own home at something that's not too expensive for the average person the way to get started with them is that echelon Like upper echelon, e-c-h-e-l-o-n, echelonfit.com slash l-o-n-b-a for locked on N-b-a, echelonfit.com slash lock or slash l-o-n-b-a for locked on N-b-a. Go there to learn about their limited time free Apple iPad and complete details of their exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. So the athletic, which John actually writes for, of course, is indispensable especially at a time like the trade down. And in fact, that's the only place you're going to find John's written work. Is that the athletic? You can go to the athletic.com slash PER. Easy to remember because John invented PER and he did this live diary with Sam Amick, who also is an awesome reporter. Sam had this great story on Kawhi Leonard's free agent recruitment to the Clippers and some of the allegations that other teams were making about the illegalities in the, that recruitment. Sam also had the piece last year about the Rockets analysis from the Warriors series the previous year of how the referees. Uh, had wrong them but so john and sam were writing this trade deadline running diary with a bunch of information some of the cap stuff that we've talked about here in real time it was indispensable to me as i was doing my prep for the deadline and it's not just john the athletic bay area is amazing ethan Strauss, my good friend is there danny larue my podcast partner is there he does some great cap focused stuff as well and it's just the best nba covers you got your own local team whether it's nfl nba they've got someone for all 30 of the nba teams actually like covering the team traveling with the team going to practices shooter games great national NBA. NBA guys David Aldridge for example Shams Charania great NFL national guys like Jake Glazer Mike Sando Michael Lombardi it's really just absolutely awesome stuff you can now get 40% off a yearly subscription if you want to get started with them at theathletic.com PER once again that's theathletic.com PER give John a little credit there as well and he is for my money the best NBA writer working today. get just don't tell him that i said that because you know i have to do a podcast with him we, we can't have him just unable to even fit his head in the building but uh no he's he's amazing and so is the athletic theathletic.com slash per don't forget that slash per let him know that you came from us should we talk about the uh the four-teamer we didn't get a chance to talk about that yeah
3: one. yeah sure yeah uh, i think that's super interesting what houston's doing i mean the, this this is a revolution right this is this is crazy like this is something we have not seen and this is going to be really interesting the rest of the year to see them just march in with saying you know what we're just never going to play a center the whole game deal with it
2: yeah and the point has been made elsewhere and i think is a good one that capella didn't have as much use to houston anymore because they weren't a pick and roll team anymore and i also thought that once you got russell westbrook his inability to shoot number one off the ball so you know if you're playing hard now you've got both Capella and Westbrook out there, and that really makes it hard for Harden to do his iso game. And then Westbrook wants to attack the rim. Mm -hmm. He can't really do those step-back shots the way Harden can, so he wants to get all the way to the basket, and Capella's kind of taking up space for him down there as well. So it seemed like Capella had maybe outlived his usefulness with this new way that they're playing in Houston.
3: I completely agree with that. I do think he's going to be a good fit in in Atlanta playing with Trey Young, where it is just... High pick and roll, rim run. Um, the the fit component of that that you worry about a little is Capella and John Collins, because this puts John Collins out of the three point line. Where you know he's like he's all right, but like the threat of John Collins is not his three point shot. You know what I mean? That's like an ancillary thing. That's like oh, and he can also make a three occasionally. That's that's not like the core of his game. So you wonder if you you wonder if Capella diminishes Collins.
2: Well let me ask you this, you see Atlanta probably more than any team. Is the fit with is John Collins good enough that the fit with him is even worth worrying about?
3: I mean, the question we're gonna run into really at starting at the end of this year is is this a guy you wanna pay or do or do you need to think about something else? Uh, I think that's a legitimate question, and I think the Hawks are probably asking those questions internally too.
2: Well, and I mean Trey Young is gonna be your star. Kevin Herter arguably is a better and more important player to them than Collins is when you consider Collins defensive issues and not really having a position. So maybe you just got to say, Hey, if those are our guys in the backcourt, like we got to just get more defense. Like, you know, maybe he can be, uh, we'll hold on to his restricted rights and maybe we can bring him back as kind of like a bench score type or something, but you know, points and rebounds, there's guys who can do that. You know, if you're, if he really wants to get paid, You're gonna pay him twenty million a year or more and the defensive fit with Young is tough. So I think maybe you just kinda you get Capella, you got these guys on the wing that you like, you still got forty eight million in cap space to work with either this summer or maybe even next. Yeah. So maybe you just don't worry that much about Collins. Let him find his way. If he can with this other center, then great, you pay him. But if not, then it's not the end of the world.
3: I think that's I think that's probably where they are. Yeah. I you know, the the Having the right guys around fit around Trey Young is much more important than having the right guys fit around John Collins for this team. Um, what did
2: you like? What did you think about the return for Covington from Minnesota?
3: I thought that was pretty good. I thought this was the absolute apex of what his trade value was going to be with two and a half years left on his deal. He's healthy. Like this was the time. So I thought yeah. Minnesota cashing in on that was good. They used part of the benefit of that. Um, to bring in Beasley, who you presume they will try to re sign this summer and project him as maybe a starting two, although I, you know, maybe that's a little bit of a stretch to see him as a starter, but, uh, I I think he's a guy who's in their plans, let's put it that way. And that's why, and that's why you move that pick. But the, I mean, the pick they moved on from for him wasn't great, right? It was a Houston pick. It's going to be like in the 20s in a week draft. So you can make the argument that that, okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. Um,
2: so, would you I mean, they could they in theory could have just held on to that Houston pick? Do you like them swapping that for Beasley and hernan gomez instead
3: i d- I think I think I like that. Um I'm interested to see what the market is for Beasley. I think the m- market for him definitely diminished with these teams using up their cap space? Oh, it's uh, diminished. So (laughs) we'll talk about that. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, the one player that sort of emerged now out of this is Detroit, but Detroit seems Detroit has a bunch of twos already. So you don't necessarily see them as a threat either. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's one of the reasons for instance, that I think Dylan Brooks extension is, is at the number it was. I think that's one of the reasons Sacramento has to be feeling really good about their ability to keep Bogdanovich. So Beasley you know, I think he got an offer for three years, thirty from Denver at the start of the season. I, th- you know, I think that's where he's going to end up. If and and he should be happy to get that at this point. With you know, he hasn't played great this year, and there's going to be a pretty tight market.
2: Hey, quick aside, I'm getting like a little like thumping. I don't know if you're like tapping your desk when you're like making your points, oh, or I may be or,
3: subconsciously. Yeah is
2: is that is that like a, a or are you doing like the Khrushchev like? taking the shoe off, like banging it, <laughs> banging it on the desk. That's- I might actually leave that part in. That was a good joke. <laughs> um, So, yeah, I, I thought that was like, I think you make the argument that that four team are actually really benefited all four teams.
3: I didn't see any part of that deal that I hated, especially, I mean, Denver turned around and parlayed uh, Napier, who was the one guy who didn't totally fit uh, out of all that into Jordan McRae. To, to kind of fill that spot and get another offensive player for their bench. So I thought everyone came out of that okay. I mean, the Nuggets were not going to be able to keep that team they had after this season, so they had to do something. I actually was disappointed they didn't go more all-in, actually, on, on more than that. I think this is the time for that team, and they didn't really— they didn't really push to get in on on some of these guys. I mean, maybe New Orleans just wasn't going to listen on Drew Holiday. Um, you know, maybe some of these other guys they didn't feel were exactly the right guy. I just I expected them to be more aggressive at this point.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't know if they had the ammo to get Drew unless they had thrown in Michael Porter, which it, they it seems like they probably weren't going to do. So
3: I think, um, but I think you make an argument that this was the time to do that.
2: That they should have traded Michael Porter for. When Ollie, you, huh? when you
3: figure with his health problems and with the, like the potential that you can sell right now, um, I mean, is it, is it that crazy to say that that, that that should have been a thing that you should have been willing to put on the table to get the right guy to put you in that top three in the West right now to All give you a fighting yeah. chance against the Clipper, against the Clippers and Lakers?
2: Yeah. Porter, I loved him at the Hoop Summit. I thought that a ton of teams blew it by not drafting him in 2018. And I think he may still be one of the most overrated players right now. I mean, when, especially when you consider the health and maybe he's just, get, he's going to come around. He's going to be this dominating scorer. I've got, but I've got issues with him defensively. I've got issues with him being, you know, like, are you seeing him as like a Carmelo Anthony type? Is that kind of the the thought of what he's supposed to be ultimately? Like it's still he's coming off the bench as a twenty one year old for a team that you know he's shown some promise but i'm not i can't go quite as crazy about him as a lot of he's got some upside but i'm I think I'm lower on him now than a lot of people seem to be
3: yeah yeah i think i think I'm in that camp too and i, uh, I just like, wonder I see the, if this was the time yeah I just wonder if this was the time to sell high yeah it's, holiday
2: it's, I'm not sure moves it for denver either though i mean it would be nice to have that type of perimeter defender but He's another kind of just like guy who can create on the perimeter, but like isn't really that efficient. And, uh, so, uh, like, does he really push you over the edge? I think that defensively he helps you for sure. It'd be great to have that, but he also could leave in a year and a half too. So I, I think maybe they just love the upside of Porter so much as that secondary perimeter scorer. Uh, I, I would have thought seriously about it too. I, I admit that, but, um, <laughs>
1: David Harrison here, the Locked On Washington Football Team podcast, celebrating with you a twenty-one grain salute to a less boring sandwich, thanks to Dave's killer one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store
4: what's up sports fans matt peck here host of locked on bulls and i want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast huge fan is a new serious xm original podcast where stars talk sports each week, join host Lachina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C., that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode.
2: So last thing, I want so I to get your thoughts on one more deal, and then we can kind of go through some superlatives uh-huh. here. Memphis, Miami. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah, this was uh, this was interesting because little bits and pieces leaked out because it, I think it was originally slated to be a three-way deal with Oklahoma City and Miami couldn't complete that part of the trade. So it ends up being a two-way trade between Memphis and Miami, although technically it did become a three-way trade at the end because Gorgie Dang and James Johnson got traded for each other. Um, Memphis took on a whole bunch of money to get Justice Winslow and kind of let Miami out of jail next year. Where the Heat now have a ton of a ton of cap room, but also made themselves better for this year probably with Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder. Uh, so it was a it was an interesting deal. I you you can sort of talk yourself into Memphis's end from this point where their cap space probably wasn't going to do that much for them next year, although you. I mean, the counter argument is it can do something and you certainly can do like with trades and getting assets and whatnot and what they've done for the past year. And they took that out of play. Um, that, but uh, that getting that starter at that spot that you wanted, cause now you could say you can go into next year, Morant, Brooks, Winslow, Jackson, Valanchunas, right? Like that's your five and, and you're locked in and everybody fits if, if everyone's healthy. So. I think that's the the logic there. It was it was kind of a high price to pay. Um we still don't really know what Winslow is in the league like yeah. we think he's that, a plus. That's defender. my question for you, right? Because they obviously
2: hit, they know. obviously really value him, right? Like, yeah. like what they do you, had to what do you to, think to, to
3: take on 40 yeah. million in in, you know, undesirable money?
2: Yeah. Yeah, what, what do you think of him? Is it, is he worth it?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's probably a favorable contract, right? Especially with that team option in 21. Uh But man, to take on to take on thirty million, uh, you know, in the form of the Johnson and Waiter. I mean, Waiters is just straight up dead money. They're going to cut him. They don't want him anywhere near the young guys. Um, And then they turn Johnson into Gorgie Dang. Who, okay, there's there's like a little bit of value there, right? He's not seventeen million, but he's he's worth like a couple million, I guess, right? And. uh, But that's a lot of negative value to take on. Now you could argue what they were going to end up doing in free agency next summer was signing guys to bloated one-year deals anyway. That that's probably the best argument for for doing this because now you at least lock in a guy you want to go forward with in Winslow. But he's had trouble staying healthy. You don't really know what he is. Like he can sort of shoot, but he's not a guy who's been like a real high-volume guy and. Not really a perimeter creator. Now, he's probably going to be your fifth option, so maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe you just want him playing defense and you say he's a better version of Crowder. But yeah. I don't know. I just, I just I got a lot of questions on this one. What do you think about it?
2: Well, let me ask you this before I do that. Because this, this I want to use your front office knowledge on this one. Winslow's out right now. He's got this weird back injury.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So... You got gotta t- you, Take me through the process that Memphis would be going through. I mean, not necessarily for your own insider knowledge of Memphis, but just generally as a team to where you're going to feel comfortable acquiring him with this back. Yeah,
3: I mean, you start, you go back and forth with, with the team. When you get serious, you um, usually when it gets really, especially with a guy who's a medical case, I mean, you start going back and forth about what the actual medical information is, and it's in everyone's informi- interest to be – to be honest about this, because the last thing you want is a trade blown up by a failed physical, because then the deadline's over and yeah. you can't do anything,
2: right? That would be a disaster.
3: So then that's a disaster. So, um, so it's in everyone's interest to be forthcoming, just so you know where the potential red flags are. Then. Uh, but you still, you don't get to look under the hood and get the guy in your facility until the trade call is done, right? So that won't happen for Memphis until probably tomorrow when, or whenever Winslow flies in from Miami. So because of that, uh, you know, there's still a variable here. They still got to see exactly what's going on with that back injury in the, with their own eyes and, and figure out how to, deal with it and whether it's you know whether it's a enough of an issue for them to uh to think twice about the trade
2: how bad would it have to be for them to nix it because they did you know they can't trade Iguodala again right uh so you're still getting something for him but they're taking on all this money that's a steep price to pay to get him in addition to the asset value that Iguodala and Crowder might have had and you know they didn't get a pick for it or anything either And how bad would it have to be for them to just say, we're not going to do it?
3: So you have two options here. One, yeah, one is you can void the trade. Sometimes, too, though, that you have some discussion. Like if the physical is an issue, you technically have a week to negotiate with the other team. And you can kind of have a back and forth and say, look, like – we didn't know this was an issue. You guys didn't give us all the information here. You know, this is a this is a surprise. This is a, this is if something comes up, obviously. Right. Um. But let's say it did. Where where you say you know what? Um. We're gonna need you know additional compensation, whether it's cash or draft picks, which are really the only things you can put. You can't put a player contract in at this point. Right. Um. But there can be some back and forth where. Uh, all right, we'll we'll throw you a second. I mean, that's what happened in the Isaiah Thomas deal with Cleveland and Boston. Yeah. Remember, um, so there there is that that leeway where after the physical, if if one of the teams isn't satisfied, that they can go back. Now, it's in practice, it's a pretty extreme measure, right? It rarely happens, but part of that is that the teams, if the if they know what they're doing, are going to be forthcoming enough leading up to it that um, that there aren't any surprises when the physicals actually happen.
2: So you asked what I thought about it. I think looking at the free agents and this, you know, you don't know how much money it would take to get these guys, whether they want to come, et cetera. If you look at what they needed, Dylan Brooks is pretty good as a wing, but he's probably, you know, you ultimately would want him as your second best perimeter defender. I think ideally on a defense Winslow to me. Is probably the best defensive player who could still be passable offensively. He's an improving shooter. He's got some ball handling skills. You know, he's not just a total loss out there yeah. offensively. He is better probably than anyone on this year's free agent market. What's more, to get someone on that free agent market, you're probably gonna have to pay a lot, and you would have had to give him a long term contract. So, getting Winslow now, the opportunity cost of taking on James Johnson and Dean Waiters, eventually, Gorgie Jang, vaporizing your cap space for the summer. Maybe isn't that high because you weren't necessarily going to get so. I think they could have gotten some value contracts, but those could have been, you know, they could have got like a Joe Harris or, so, you know, someone along those lines, you know, mm-hmm. but one more really good shooter play, uh, Brooks at the three. But I, I think Winslow in theory fits in a little bit better. And you can say, Hey, if Jackson comes into his own here, You can really build a defensive monster with Brooks, Winslow, and Jackson. Then you can play Clark some with Jackson also.
3: You got Kyle Anderson there still, too.
2: Yeah. So you can really build that up in theory. And then you still got the cap space in the summer of 2021 to take another chance at the cap space derby when admittedly you'll have a lot more competition that year. But the class will be better. As well, and you just have a better idea of where what Jackson is, what Morant is, what some of these other guys are. You see whether Winslow has worked out or not. By that point, you could always decline his team option at that point to get more space. Yeah. So, I think from that perspective, it's okay. I, I as I talked myself through it, I was like, "Holy crap!" They took on you know you're basically paying Justice Winslow forty million dollars yeah, next the, year.
3: The, yeah, That's the asset insane. proposition is staggering, but the opportunity cost is not as great as you might have thought right?
2: Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, now maybe the better way to look at it is like, okay, should you have been able to wheedle a little bit more out of Miami? Because it seemed like they were going to give up another first rounder to Oklahoma city, but that was to get Gallinari, but also to get off of this other stuff. Um, so maybe you should be able to get more out of it. Uh, what do you think about the whole, it was reported that OKC was going to happen, and then Gallinari didn't want to extend in Miami, and so it didn't happen. Like, what was
3: your take on that whole thing? Well, that's very interesting because on a couple of levels. First of all, Gallinari played in the game last night, which is unusual if a, if two teams are that deep in yeah. trade talks. Uh, the second thing that's unusual is you don't usually let your player negotiate with another team before the trade is totally done. Like, I if you're if I wouldn't want a a trade to be conditional on somebody signing an extension with another team, right? Now with Igadala, it's a little different because he wasn't playing for your team anyway. But in Gallinari's case, it was very odd that he was negotiating an extension with a team that he wasn't on while he was playing that night, right? So that that to me was the most bizarre part of the deal. Usually, like in any trade conversation, it's very rare you let somebody from another team talk to talk to one of your guys about anything. Um,
2: yeah. And, and you mentioned that uh, this Iguodala was only the third extended trade in NBA history and uh, presumably Gallo would have been the fourth.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and the other two were very, were, um, you know, very high profile deals when you look at Garnett, who was uh, over the summer. So that's a little different. And then uh, Carmelo.
2: So my guess as to what might have happened here as to why Memphis ended up having to pay such a big price. Was that they kind of thought that the Gallo part was going to happen, and that yeah, Miami was going to throw in another first rounder to OKC, maybe change the protections on the one they owe already, get Gallo, and that part of the cost of that first rounder would be you're giving up on uh, Johnson and Waiters to OKC, and you're getting back Gallo, and so uh, that that's all that seems like more right, doesn't it? To you're giving up a first rounder to get a good player, but also 28 million. But you see,
3: here's here's what I don't get about that. Miami still had a second they could have put in, and they didn't even get that. Yeah. Right. So, so I don't think that was it. I, I, I think that was just the, they negotiated that deal, and then the Heat wanted to turn around and send Crowder and Hill to the Thunder and get Gallinari. But I think this, this was going to be the deal either way. And usually that's how three way trades work. It's usually, um, Usually you kinda you, you kinda have one trade locked in before you start going on to the next steps. Yeah,
2: yeah that makes sense. Um so yeah, I, I think ultimately for Memphis, if Justice Winslow is good, it was a good trade. If he's not, it was a bad trade. That's how they usually work. Um and, and it also does seem like with the Clippers getting Marcus Morris, there wasn't really a significant market for Iguodala outside of Miami. Because if I'm the Clippers, I would have rather had Marcus Morris, I think.
3: I, I think one of the things that's clear is that the market for Iguodala was not nearly as robust as as what was put out there. And at that number, I mean, you could sort of see. I mean, the mechanics of acquiring him were very difficult for most of the league's teams. The one, the one that surprised me a little, I don't know how close Dallas got. I mean, there were reports out there that they were making calls and they were trying to get wing players, um, you know, could Dallas have done Courtney Lee and that second round pick from Golden State? And if so, would that have been a better deal for Memphis to take?
2: Yeah, I think that second ultimately doesn't move the needle for you. And they've got a bunch of young guys already on this team. So, um, I mean, they still got to bring back Melton as well. They're, they've, they've kind of, you know, in theory got enough in the pipeline here with how well they've played. You know, I think yeah. your priorities may change if you hadn't played as well as they've played so far this year yeah. to believe I mean, like, Hey, Ja and Jackson, like, that's it. That's our 50 win team right there. And let's just build around these guys as opposed to feeling like, no, like w- one of these guys isn't looking that good. We need another piece here.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'll say, I mean, you look at the team, I mean, they kind of have their one through 10 guys for next year already. If, if they yeah. bring back Milton, you know, they almost don't, they'll have their full mid level, even though they used all their cap room. I don't even know if they need to use it. You know, they, they like they might just be wasting wasting their time unless it's a yeah. one year deal.
2: Especially as we were talking about with trying to get something in twenty twenty one. Oh, this is what I wanted to ask you about here. Actually, well, uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll get to that. All of the media stuff about Dallas being in on Iguodala. Memphis has this backstop of the Golden State second. Dallas then denying it. What did you make of that whole thing?
3: Um, you're never totally sure who's playing what game, and it's interesting because we never really did much of that um, when we were in Memphis, but there there definitely was an incentive for the Grizzlies to put out there that they had something,
2: right? Yeah, that's got to be coming you know? from, I mean, again, not based on your experience, but just like they're the ones who have the incentive to leak that, not Dallas.
3: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So,
2: Because yeah, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, you don't really, if you're making an offer as a
3: team, you don't want everybody else to know what your offer is so they can beat it. Exactly. And then, too, you gotta remember you're dealing with human beings. Like, you never want out there that player X is on the market, or that you're talking about a trade with a guy. Even though they know in the back of their minds that that's a possibility, you don't want to push that to the front of their minds. You know what I mean? And so, it's, you know, it's kind of a, the, I don't want to say ugly side, but, you know, not great side of the business that you could just, I always thought it was kind of bullshit that we could just in the middle of the season just be like, hey, you're going to Sacramento tomorrow. You know? <laughs> like for, for all the money these guys make and the lifestyles they live. Like that's that's a really weird component of what they do, right? I
2: still maintain Sacramento is an underrated NBA city.
3: Okay, but it's so it seems really far away if you wake up in Memphis in the morning and somebody tells you that.
2: Yeah. Also, the proximity to skiing isn't gonna do NBA players much good unless it's Vlad Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so I got some superlatives here. I want to go through with you. Okay. Just all right. Overall, biggest winner of this deadline.
3: I'm gonna say Minnesota. I'm trying to think. Of, I'm trying to think of somebody else whose whose deadline I like. I like more Detroit. Houston? Maybe we didn't Houston? talk about the drumming trade.
2: Do we have to? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, right? They just Cleveland bet that Drummond is better than cap and Detroit bet that cap is better than Drummond. And as you said in your piece today at The Athletic, uh, theathletic.com slash PER, by the way, to sign up for that, uh, that you like Detroit side of the bet. I agree.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, yeah. Biggest winner.
3: You see, I, think- I would have I said Miami if they got Gallinari and got him on an extension. I, I think that would. Have been, I still
2: think it might be them. Really? Um, do we, yeah. Well, because they they actually should be able to get some good players with that cap space. They're gonna have 26 million in cap space.
3: Yeah, they, and they're and they're a desirable place to end up. That's right. Too right. Like people are gonna and be the looking at that good and saying, team. "I want to go there. How do I? How do I do this?" As opposed to as opposed to just using them as a leverage play or an offer sheet play or whatever. So I do think you raise a good point. They got off a lot of bad money. They kind of finally expunged that awful summer of what was it, 2016, 17? 17, 17 um, yeah. When the, they signed all these six men to $15 million a year deals. They're they're finally like out of that. They're in into the clear on that. Um, I still don't think – like they didn't really change their profile as a contender this year to me. Like I still think they're very much yeah. in the second tier. But they did change their profile heading into the offseason of their possibilities and what they can do. Um, and they actually have their first round pick at the draft this year too. So they're they're they have a lot of possibilities now just by getting off of that money, uh, you know, owed to Johnson and and Waiters uh, and Winslow too. Honestly, uh, so so they're like next year could be really really good for them. Now, I think that's a fair point. I think yeah yeah. The only thing I wonder about a little actually is paying Igudala fifteen next year yeah
2: it might be i mean he's definitely only uh, a playoff player at this point he might be about to, but i think he he played it perfectly with this hey i'm not going to go anywhere except the la teams and so he it seemed like oh yeah we need to uh to to entice him to go there and actually show up and play that maybe that was part of it he did he did a great job he's he's a big winner
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah clearly clearly yeah
2: um Biggest – and Danny and I talked to winners and losers uh, on my show a little bit, so I I won't weigh in as much here. Uh, Biggest loser.
3: What about Boston?
2: Yeah. They they really – I mean, and we'll see what happens on the buyout market too. That will be, I'm sure, a whole other show that we'll have to do at some point. But uh, maybe the point after the buyouts are are determined would be a good (laughs) time for that. But uh, yeah, Boston I would put up there for sure.
3: Uh, I would say the Lakers, too, because they got outmaneuvered by the Clippers, clearly. I mean, the biggest acquisition—we haven't really talked about this— I mean, the single most impactful acquisition as far as impacting the race for the championship this season is the Clippers picking up Marcus Morris, right? Yep. Like, without a doubt. So uh, that move, I think, really showed that the Clippers kind of— Outfox them a little in terms of how to use their draft picks to get the players they wanted. What they did with the George deal versus what the Lakers did with the Davis deal, even though the Lakers gave up fewer total picks, the Clippers kept their powder dry in that 2020 pick and weren't blocked in by the Stepien rule so that they were able to pounce when the guy they wanted became available in Uh, in Marcus Morris and they were able to go out and get their guy. And the thing is, he's not even a rental really, because as a non-bird free agent on a $15 million deal, they can go up to $18 million to re-sign him, which I think they'll, they'll be able to do. And I think in that market, I think they'll win a tiebreaker. You know, if somebody tries to go over the top with 19 or 20 million and it's, you know, it's like, you know, Cleveland or something, they'll just be like, nah, I'm just going to stay in LA.
2: No, I agree with you. I mean, I think to me, the biggest losers are the Lakers and Bucks. I think they both needed needed something, and they didn't get it.
3: Were you were the Bucks too conservative? I mean, obviously there was some risk, some understandable risk aversion, right? When you're playing as well as this team is playing, but were were they too conservative? Yeah,
2: we never heard any reporting really on things on anything, right? Do at all. I mean, to me, I would have liked to have had Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris not known for as being a great chemistry guy. It seems like once Sacramento made that trade with Atlanta, Bogdanovich, who was the guy I really wanted for them, Mm -hmm. was no longer available. I don't, I mean, maybe if they'd thrown in DiVincenzo and that Indiana pick, they could have changed Sacramento's mind, but I don't think so. I mean, you know, it seems like they're really enamored of Bogdanovich and perhaps rightfully so. So maybe that just wasn't there for, you know, if the if you couldn't get Morris and you couldn't get Bogdanovich, then maybe there just wasn't a move to be made for Milwaukee.
3: Yeah, I still like that Wesley Matthews spot is still kind of a liability, right? Like, I, yeah, I, I, I still I mean, wonder when they get in, when they get in a competitive playoff series, like what are they doing at the what are they doing at the two, um, what are they doing at the one? Really, um, like, I, yeah, as good as Bledsoe has been, especially on the defensive end, you do wonder a little bit if they should have looked at. Looked at more stuff, you know, on the high-level guard market. Now, again, when you get into when you get into a team this good, there's a smaller subset of players who can really help you, so that that constrains you in some respects. But yeah, I mean, they certainly weren't active. All right,
2: next question here. We got a, about 20 more minutes or so. Player who is the best fit in his new destination
3: on the court. Okay. What about Jay Crowder in Miami? He might not even play that much, though, right? He might not play that much, but I do think he's a pretty good fit there, right? He's a, you know, can play three and four and, you know, willing, if not always able, three point shooter. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he kind of like positionally, you look up and down their roster, like he fits a niche that was kind of exactly what they needed, especially if you're taking out Winslow and James Johnson. Um, yeah. So I'll, with I'll with him an and Iguodala— underrated.
2: With him and Iguodala, you can kind of stop messing around with Myers-Leonard and Kelly Olenek. I mean, I'm sure yeah. they're going to stick with that same starting group. And then by a game, I'm saying the over-under is game three. Uh, game, three. game three of the playoffs series, they start bam at the five and, and yeah. get rid of Myers-Leonard. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, who knows? Maybe they're the two seed in their playing zone who's not any good. But uh, that, After their game, first
3: playoff matter. loss, that will be the adjustment. How about that?
2: Yeah. Um, my pick would probably be Clint Capella. Uh, he, so that
3: was that was the other name I was thinking of. It, it, actually, him and Robert Covington both, but right, yeah. But I I do expect him to be uh, rejuvenated a little bit in Atlanta. I think he's going to get a lot more lob opportunities. I think he's uh, you know Atlanta to the extent w- w- whatever it is they're doing on defense. I think he'll be closer to the rim than he was in in Houston probably and be able to rebound and block shots a little more. I I just think it's a really good fit. For him. So I, you know, Atlanta gave up a, a, fir- a decent first, right? The Brooklyn first round pick, but I kind of think that deal was okay for them. I mean, they had a gaping wound at center. Uh, Capella's contract is pretty good, has three more years to run after this one. Yeah. And they kind of like, they have their fill of, of youngish guys. So to just get another kind of guy to take a shot on and a not great draft, I, I think it was okay to move on from that.
2: I agree with you, and I think if you look at the free agent market, they vaporize a little cap space, but Clint Capella is a better defensive center than anyone that they theoretically could have gotten this year. So, And they still have their own pick to take another shot as well in this draft. I mean, and, that, and then once they have that, they'll really be uh have plenty of young guys. So, yeah, I, I don't mm-hmm. mind that move for them either. Um D'Lo is one you could say, too. I mean, he's he, – Oh, like yeah. Her system was really bad for him. It just – it wasn't that pick and roll heavy. I mean, he really should have had even higher usage in, uh, Golden State than he did. And now you got, you know, an incredible pick and roll partner and guy who's going to get double team, get you some shots. Uh, I mean, at least offensively, but you know, we're not going to, we're just going to not mention defense when we talk. About <laughs> let's, let's stay away from
3: years. that right now. Let's yeah. Let's just so. forget
2: it. Um, player who is most hurt by these moves, maybe like some incumbent being replaced or, or, just not a great fit with the the player that was acquired.
3: What do you think about Alec Burks in Philadelphia?
2: That he was hurt or just generally as a as a question?
3: Um what what's what's the fit like for him there? Like is he really is he gonna have the ball in his hands enough to do the things that he that make him useful?
2: I think it depends how well he shoots the ball. Um I think, you know, I think, you know, they see him as a 15, 20 minute of the game guy replacing the Burke Neto minutes. You know, I think that's all they're looking at him as. I mean, and they got him for the low price of basically free. He and GR3. I mean, that was a great piece of business to, for picks that they weren't even going to use anyway. Cause they have all these other second rounders. So you get those guys.
3: Yeah. Those were weak get- second round picks. And then they even got one of them back in the Ennis trade.
2: Yeah. And definitely to like considering that, you know, just to help Golden State get out of the tax, essentially. It's, that's why Golden State gave those guys up for so cheap. Um, yeah, I I think, uh, yeah, Burke's, I think he'll be fine there. I don't think he's going to, and he has a little more size. So he's not going to just get killed the way Burke or Neto were going to in that role. So I think he helps. I don't think he's going to close games. So maybe if he's super hot, he might replace Josh Richardson in some offense defense or if Al Horford is just not hitting shots and they want to take him off the floor. Um, no, I mean, I thought that was good. I think GR3 could be an upgrade on what they were getting from Ennis and possibly Scott. I'm, I'm higher on him than you, and you certainly seem to be with the rest of the league considering the incredibly low price that it took to get GR3.
3: But, I mean, he's better than Mike Scott. I mean, God, yeah. yeah. I think that's a – they they they've been a little wedded to, too wedded to him the whole time, I and mean, they gave him that two-year deal this summer, which I didn't understand at all at, at the money they did. I mean they could have used their taxpayer mid level to get to get something I think that would have helped them a lot more in the backcourt and uh you know ultimately ended up having to trade for it instead.
2: Uh I, you mentioned John Collins. I think he's one where uh, the his extension possibilities are going to be hurt. He's not a great fit with Capella uh, the whole rim running thing. That and then not only that, but they also got Deadman now to play backup center where Collins maybe could have played backup center before. So
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, where where's Bruno Fernando on your list?
2: Uh, let's see here. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not sure we're going to yeah. s- see him again unless I drive down to College Park.
2: Um ha yeah, go ahead. Um I'm trying to think of who else would be a player who's most hurt. Right, we, we got some more out here. Uh your single favorite individual move.
3: I mean, Philly made a nice deal for themselves. Um you know, honestly, Orlando made a pretty nice deal getting James Ennis out of that too. I mean, you you could argue they they should have gone after Gr3 or uh, or Burks instead. I guess would be yeah. The you argument. could argue that but actually give they, up a little. They more. were dangling the fifty ninth pick in the draft, right? Like they, this is a pick that was substantially worse than even <laughs> what Philadelphia offered Golden State, right?
2: Is there something that's like less than dangling? Just like <laughs> just like holding it, hanging it, like that's. It's, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty ugly. I mean, they, they, uh, yeah, I mean, Orlando is like the least impacted draft picks of any team, either for or against uh, going forward. Um, my single favorite move, yeah, would probably be Philly getting those least favorite moves. I would say for Golden State, just uh, punting on GR3 the way they did. Um, and then so
3: let, I think we should talk about that a little bit because so. The, the thing you say in theory is that, well, it doesn't matter because they could sign him with the same exception next year, either way. Um, and the reality of this business is that that's never how it works. When, when you, when you trade a guy, he's, he's not coming back and signing with you the next year. Okay. Like just, just draw a big red X through that. It's not happening.
2: Yeah. And it seemed like he was pretty, uh, blindsided by it and a little shocked based on Slater's piece last night. Um, the other one I would point to is Charlotte not moving Marvin Williams. Um Dallas Let, not doing anything. Did, did
3: Charlotte's phones work? Were there was there like a blackout there or something? No I mean, were there. Did you hear difficult.
2: anything about them at all? But but like how are you not gonna just take some shitty second from Dallas and trade Marvin Williams for Courtney Lee? Like, right. Why wouldn't you just do that? I mean right. like veteran mentorship or re sign Marvin or something, I really uh, like that's just a get, I mean, he's going to get bought out now, right? Like it, it's, it doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. Yeah. Um, And for Dallas not to go after him either, or um the Knicks not rerouting Harkless, I thought was, was pretty bad.
3: Yeah. I mean, clearly I think they had an opportunity to maybe get a second round pick or to do some money stuff um, where they could have potentially traded him someplace. Uh, where, where there was a tax issue, like they could have done a deal with Harkless for for Solomon Hill and Casey Okpala. I tweeted that that would have gotten Miami out of the tax.
2: Yeah, I mean Leon Rose had a whole five hours to get up to speed. How is he not
3: able to get all this done? <laughs> um, on, on the moves we like, I mean, I I don't know how I glossed over this. I mean, the Clippers getting Marcus Morris again. I mean that that was yeah that was the clear win, right?
2: Yeah, and keeping him away from the Lakers. Well, so I really, if the Lakers to me. Would you have put Kuzma in? Supposedly, the Knicks wanted Danny Green also, but they could have gotten to the money there. There would have been a way to do it, I think.
3: Yeah. they could have done a four-for-three trade with uh, Avery Bradley, Quinn Cook, DeMarcus Cousins, and Kyle Kuzma and taken back, uh, I believe, Damian Dotson and Ignas Brezdakis along with Morris, and it would have worked. Yeah. Um, but uh, they uh, did not. Um
2: yeah, and maybe New York was being unreasonable. They just demanded Danny Green for whatever reason. Who knows? I mean, again, there, there was such chaos there. It's hard to...
3: Yeah. Now, KCP could have been in that deal, too, and he could have... He had the ability to refuse a trade because of the bird rights component, but, it, you know, it's also given the uh, family arrangement there with uh, with uh, Rich Paul and everything and KCP and the Lakers, uh, I, I think they would have been able to get him to approve the trade, let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, but for whatever, I mean, losing KCP hurts you a little more. Like he's like at least a real player, uh, for them as opposed to like some of these other contracts we talked about putting in, uh, but so KCP and Kuzma probably would have been a little felt a little rich. Now Kuzma, the one thing you say for, I mean, he's on your books for 3.5 next year. Yeah. Whereas Marcus Morris, you got to pay, you know, probably $18 million.
2: Yeah. And they could try and move again in the summer, but this is. This is the year for them, you would think, right? LeBron James is, isn't getting any younger. Um, what did you think of the Pistons not moving Rose?
3: I wasn't surprised. I'll tell you why. The everything I heard was that they wanted a first round pick for him and that they weren't going to move him unless they got a first. Um, uh, so th- clearly they didn't get that now. I think there are scenarios where you could argue that some teams had combinations of seconds that were actually more valuable than a single first. I don't know if they looked at that. Like, Philadelphia could have put, like, Mike Scott and, like, three really good seconds on the table for Derrick Rose. That would have been interesting, right?
2: Yeah. But maybe they felt like that's not worth it. He's not going to be in our closing lineup. And Alec Burks is enough of a reasonable facsimile. And that's kind of the difficulty for Philly is, like, yeah, Derrick Rose, I think, would actually really help them give him a. a, a stabilizer offensively at the end of games, but then who are you taking off the floor to put him out there?
3: I think also though you can't just blithely assume that your starting five will stay healthy for the next three months.
2: No, that's true. Especially uh in Philly they seem a bit star crossed <laughs> yeah in, in that respect. Uh other big losers I think are just any free agent for next year. Yeah, it's the space more is just, cap space, space getting vaporized.
4: Going,
3: going, gone. Um you know who you haven't talked about at all? Yeah. San Antonio.
2: Yeah, it does seem like their momentum is stalled to some degree to catch the eighth seed. And I mean, Wode's reported a couple weeks ago that if they really had significant offers for DeRozan or Aldridge, that they might do it. But it doesn't. I mean, it, we couldn't come up with a team that really wanted those guys, though. So I, I'm not really sure what they were supposed to do in the end. Yeah, I
3: mean, maybe there was just nothing. Maybe there was just no hand to play for them, which is which is certainly possible, uh, given what they're looking at.
2: Okay, ten more minutes here. Okay. So let's do a lightning round. What team helped themselves the most for this year? Oh, I think that's clearly got to be the
3: Clippers, right? Agreed. Who
2: helped themselves the most for beyond this year?
3: Is it Atlanta? I mean, as low as the bar is there? I mean, I mean Capella definitely checks a box for them, right? Uh, I have a question for you, actually. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's Houston.
2: <laughs> Could Houston so help themselves the Houston, most for this year? So
3: Houston was my other answer when you asked who helped themselves the most this year because they right, went. Right.
2: Yeah. That, that, I was going back to that.
3: Yeah. Now right. they have a puncher's chance. I didn't think there was any chance of them winning the championship the way they were trying to play when they had Clint Capella healthy. Now they, I think. Yeah. Now I think they have this wild card possibility of like that they screw up the game enough, especially when they play against these teams that try to play traditional. That it just. That it just screws with them, and over over seven game series, they're just like, oh man, what do we do? We can't play our bigs. Like, I I do think there's a chance there that this that this almost breaks the game a second time after D'Antoni broke it the first time with seven seconds or left. I mean, what Houston did is definitely the most interesting thing that happened at this trade deadline. I think without a doubt.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we there was talk that they were having discussions with. Eastern conference teams, Kelly Eco reported that from the athletic, uh, but apparently those didn't materialize. They still had their 2020 second or 2022 uh, first. Geez, that was terrible. That's what four and a half hours of talking will do for you. Um, <laughs> to try and get a center, they didn't have a ton of matching salary. I think let's see where they end up. I mean, the buyout market could really determine a lot this year. With some of the you know these Marvin Williams, Tristan Thompson. I mean, there will be some players who I think are going to be in playoff rotations available.
3: Yeah, which is, I mean, the thing about the buyout market. Why I've always been skeptical of it in the past is that it's usually a bit of a barrel scrape, right? But yeah. I think there is the potential for at least a couple guys, uh, especially front court guys, as you point out, who are actually good enough to matter when we get to the postseason.
2: Move that made the least sense to you.
3: Cleveland trading for Andre Drummond. Yeah. I mean, you already have, like, your front court is already your strength, basically, right? Like, you, you need guards and wings. You don't, you don't, you have two young guards who aren't that good. You have a backup small forward masquerading as a 40 minute starter, and you have, like, nothing behind them. Like, that, that's where they need to get better. And, Now you're going to pair Love and Drummond and Nance. Like, okay, you'll you'll get a bunch of rebounds, but a lot of them will be off your own missed shots.
2: Oh, for the who helped themselves the most beyond this year, I mean, it could be Golden State. It could be Minnesota, and it could be Miami, too. I would throw them out there as well. Um, Yeah, I agree with you on Drummond. Um, What went the most differently from what you expected?
3: Oh, the dollar trade. I mean, we uh, I yeah. think we all thought it would be a, expiring in a second-round pick, right? Well, and th- the destination as well. Yeah, exactly. Extend, I don't think anyone I mean, saw yeah, that, agree, Miami yeah. plausibly being in the game on that.
2: Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of stuff. I didn't think Russell was going to happen. I thought that was going to
3: happen in the summer if it did. Um, Drummond, <laughs> I mean— that, that was out of left field in terms of the team because nobody, yeah. nobody had Cleveland on their list of the teams that— Uh, Detroit was talking I mean I think Atlanta was certainly out there obviously there was some New York stuff out there you never heard a peep about Cleveland though so that that was definitely out of left field and late right
2: um neither the Lakers nor the Mavs nor the Bucks doing anything
3: nor the Celtics yeah yeah big surprise I thought for sure boston i didn't know if they'd be able to get a five just because too many fives make too much money for them to salary match i did think they'd be able to piece together a couple of contracts and get one more perimeter player especially like a a bigger wing uh to fit into their rotation and eat up some of these minutes that they're using with a lot of second line players who are who are going to get exposed in the playoffs i i thought they'd really try to attack that weakness and they didn't uh what went most
2: according to how you expected,
3: uh, the Morris trade. I, I, th- I mean, I, yeah. that was a very clear end game uh, for a while. That 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 Harkless plus the plus the pick would be the thing that would be able to get them Morris. Um, ended up working a little different with Robinson being thrown in and going to Washington, which is probably a nice b- piece of business for Washington, right? Like that's.
2: Uh, I, I think that's a nice piece of business for the Clippers. I think he's terrible.
3: Well, I I mean. I, I'm am not going to sit here and say he's a fan. Say I'm a fan, but I think Washington needs to be in that business of identifying guys that they think have a chance as a prospect and and trying to obtain them and see sure. what happens. So I mean, we
2: thought the same thing about Mo Wagner, and he's certainly, he's been yeah. Okay, so yeah, uh, yeah. G- give yourself a flyer, and you got until next year. But I think for the Clippers, that three million getting off of that gives you room to maybe use your full mid level next year. Or uh, just pay less tax if you're going to resign Morris. Well,
3: the, I mean, they had a tax issue this year, which is why they put Robinson in and did the uh Derek Walton deal. So now they're able yep. to acquire Morris, still can play the buyout market and still stay below the tax.
2: um I'll throw out my colleague Dan Feldman, who on our mock trade deadline podcast, had a four teamer that included Houston trading away Capella and getting Robert Covington.
3: Wow. Wow, that's brilliant.
2: that's what actually happened. Pretty awesome that he came up with that. So uh, I'll say that went as as expected for him, at least. Um, Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: But, I mean, it made sense that they were supposedly in on Covington. He was a fit. Capella had to be the matching salary to go. Um, Most boring financial move that only us cap dorks would love?
3: Oh, um Scout Labissier to Atlanta for uh, (laughs) $1.9 million. I'm going to go for Derek Walton. They're actually, well, I already brought up Derek Walton. I mean, (laughs) there was more excitement there because it was the Clippers and it got them under the, you know, it it set up some other things. Like the Morris trade wouldn't even have been legal if the Clippers were a tax team at the end of it. So it actually was necessary just to complete that trade. Um, So. That, that actually was at least a little mildly interesting, maybe. And then, uh, the, yeah. (laughs) I've actually, uh, you know, Portland ended up staying in the tax, which I thought they might try to get out just because they face a potential repeater in, in the out years here. Um, this is an okay year to stay in the tax because you're not missing out on a large redistribution. Yeah. From the other tax teams, but Portland ended up in by four million.
2: Uh, I got Minnesota in too, actually, but they're probably fine for that they, same reason.
3: They are in and also they can still get out. Um, if they do a buyout with Alan Crabb or Evan Turner, they could end up getting out.
2: Oh, yeah. Maybe that's what it'll be. Yeah. Or, or, uh, the Eric Murphy with, uh, with somebody. The, too. the,
3: uh, the Rodney Magruder last day of the season special. Yeah. That, that's another option.
2: Okay. Last one. Deal that you wish would have gotten done. That could actually help both teams and don't really understand why not.
3: Uh, so the low hanging fruit is to say Gallinari to Miami. Um, but you know, I still wanted to see Portland use some of its equity to take a shot at somebody on their roster who could be part of their team next year. Cause they're going to have trouble getting that guy now in, in free agency. I thought they could use their expirings to maybe target somebody like that. Covington would have been obviously a guy, um, and, and maybe that guy just, just wasn't out there. It wasn't right for them. I was a little surprised Nemani Belitza didn't get traded. I thought somebody, if somebody, uh, put a late first in front of Sacramento, that that would be something they'd have to look at. And that ended up not happening.
2: Yeah. I guess that's true. And I mean, maybe that the thought was that that was just too much of a, too much of a price. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, Boston for that Milwaukee pick, but maybe they just, you know, didn't want to move Bielitza. He's under contract, not guaranteed. For next year at seven million, they don't need the extra space now after doing that deadman deal. So, um, I mean, I would have loved to have seen Bogdanovich on a contender, but I, I, it's hard for me to say that I wanted to see that because I'm not sure that there's anything anyone could have put on the table that would have been worth it for Sacramento. And, and they really like him. He's a good player. So, um, certainly something with involving Courtney Lee for somebody who can play and yeah. some middling asset and cash or you know whatever, uh, I, I thought that was a real missed opportunity, both for teams who had players like, you know, even even like Tristan Thompson, maybe could have helped. Uh, with uh, could have helped Dallas. You know, I think or, Dallas
3: or, or, at this point, I think I think they're just at a point where they don't think this is quite their year. Yeah, and that they just didn't want to burn any powder. They know they're going to the playoffs. They know they're probably going to lose in the first round. Like, okay, this is what it is.
2: Okay, sounds good, Ben. This is uh, this was fun, and we are not doing next week due to all-star so we will be back on our normal Sunday night schedule uh little over two weeks from now so we will talk to y'all then
3: we we get an all-star break too <laughs>
2: what what are you doing
3: uh, I'm actually going to Chicago for all-star weekend oh
2: yeah that's right we talked about that because <laughs> you're gonna go to my sister's restaurant
3: exactly exactly and I'm looking forward to it
2: yeah uh, Yeah, that'll be awesome. I will be in Big Sky, Montana, doing a little skiing. Nice. All right. Uh, Talk to you all in a couple of weeks. Till then.
0: Thanks, everyone.
2: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the
0: greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary.